This episode of the Top Music Guitar Podcast is proudly supported by our sponsors, Music Notes. You're listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so that you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Podcast. Today I've got a real treat for you, a very, very special guest. And this person is someone who's well known in the guitar teaching and online music teaching social media circles, a person who's developed his own programs in kids rock, has coached many people to success in their own musical business ventures through his social media enterprise, and of course is the host of his own podcast, Music Lessons and Marketing. Let's welcome Dave Simon to the podcast. Dave, it's great to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's great to be on the show. It's great to have you. And you know, you've been on my radar for a little while. I think we've been friends on Facebook forever, and you post some really great stuff in your own social media groups and contribute to a lot of other things online. And I just thought, man, I got to get Dave on the podcast sometime. And here we are. It's great to have you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today or tonight depending on uh, where you are on the planet. And I think that's one of the best things about these podcasts is you can literally reach and connect with people anywhere in the world. And again, the whole aim of the Top Music Guitar Podcast is to find people who are doing wonderful things in the music teaching and guitar education spaces and help share that with other teachers so we can have a much bigger impact on our students and you know improve the quality of education for the next generation of guitar players and music students world over. Love that mission. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. So I know your story not too well. I've read about it on the internet and on your website, but do you want to, for our listeners who might be meeting you for the first time, just tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah. So my background was I was being groomed to be a a classical bassist in high school, you know, ambitions to be in a professional, you know, symphony one day, but then I discovered the clash and it all went downhill from there. I should say it all went uphill, really fell in love with rock and roll and we got into songwriting and bands. I studied jazz in college and I really loved the, um, the model in college where you have an instructor teaching a jazz ensemble. And I really wish I had a mentor like that when I was playing in my rock bands in high school. And I always thought that would be such a great model for rock bands to be able to, you know, to have a group of teenagers and then have, some seasoned uh, adult helping guide, guide them. And that was just an idea that always sat in the back of my mind. And um, probably like, I don't know, years later, and maybe in my mid thirties, I decided to open up a rock school that really was based on that jazz model that I had in college, that jazz experience. And I opened my school, it was called Dave Simon's Rock School. Four months into it being open, all of a sudden this movie comes out called School of Rock. And it just, you know, my the, the local media was all over me at that point because it's like, oh, my God, we have our own, you know, school of rock. So that really got my business in motion. And um, in 2019, years late, uh, years later or three years ago, I wound up selling my school to focus on my music education licensing business, which really um, grew out of my music school. Yeah, and the name of your program, I understand, is Kids Rock. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is and what makes it special? Yeah, so so Kids Rock is it's a rock band program that teaches ages four to seven how to play an instrument, not in private lessons, but day one, they're in a rock band. So they're getting the the end result on day one. And, you know, it, it really became apparent to me that music lessons or the music education industry does things backwards compared to other after-school programs, you know, soccer, football, as they say in Australia, martial arts, everything is group group. 
gymnastics, it's group, but music was always music lessons first, build skills. And then when you're older, you know, have a, a foundation, you can play in an ensemble. And so I kind of thought, well, is there a way to, to reverse that so they can be in a group on day one? And how can you make that accessible to an even younger age group? Because it was apparent to me in my music school that I had an age gap. I kept getting calls from parents with four or five, six-year-olds that wanted private lessons, but I, I dreaded teaching those kids in private lessons. I knew what the outcome was going to be. Yet it was hard to say no to business. But do you say yes to business knowing that you run the risk of turning the child off to, to music? So it's, it's a tricky thing. So Kids Rock really kind of came about as a way to engage that age group in a meaningful way and then to position private lessons as the, the destination for the more ambitious student. Yeah, most definitely. And I agree with everything you've set up in this point. Like, the end result is always, yeah, let's get up on stage and jam with other people or play or connect. But the model that you teach to get them to that point ends up giving them a bunch of skills. And then when they finally jam, they, they get stage fright. Uh, they don't have any sense of timing or ability to communicate with other musicians. And this is generalizing. Some people do reasonably well at it, but the vast majority of people are experiencing all these you know, nerves for the first time or just aren't experienced with that. And we as teachers through the private lesson model haven't done a good job of setting them up for it. Yeah. And... You know, the, the name of the game is getting kids excited and turned on to playing an instrument. And I have found that the ensemble experience, whether it was in my background in playing in orchestras or playing in a rock band, that's the most exhilarating experience. Playing solo piano on stage is nice, but playing keyboards in a rock band, it's just, it's a whole nother level of excitement. And anyone who owns a music school that is focused on ensembles can probably relate to the frustration of, okay, the kids got to have these basic skills done. They have to understand power chords to play in a rock band. They have to understand basic drum beats. That, that can take a few months before a child can transition from power chords, especially power chords in a song that are at a pretty fast tempo. That can really be a, a challenge. So my plan was, okay, fine. Instead of trying to get kids to play maybe relatively simple songs by Green Day or the Ramones, write songs for them where the chords change slowly and the tempo is dramatically slower than your typical rock song. You know, your typical rock song maybe is moving along at a clip at 110 or 130 beats per minute. Kids rock songs are at like 55 beats per minute. It's super slow. But it's it's accessible and it gets kids excited about playing music. And the, it, it, you got to get your student, whether they're four or 14, you have to get them to buy into this idea that playing an instrument's fun. It's easy to do and it comes naturally to them. If a kid believes in those three things, you got a student for, for years. If any of those um, beliefs aren't formed early, you're on your way to losing a student. Yeah, I think anyone listening to this, write those three things down because that is absolute gold there. Uh, and what would you say, Dave, for the people who you know are hesitant to teach kids because they've experienced like what you've said in a private lesson, the kids just don't gel with them or, or they fail to engage them? What, what do you have to say to those kind of people? Well, I, I think the question they have to ask themselves is, is the private lesson the best place for that child? I, I you know... I think it's important to maybe step back and ask ourselves, well, what, what makes for a successful private lesson from the student standpoint? What skills does the student need inherently, you know, before they even go to their instrument? They have to be able to focus they have, for a long period of time. 30 minutes for us isn't that long, but for a young child who's grown up on YouTube and social media, 30 minutes is a really long time. So you have, and then there's the issue of fine motor skills, which really aren't developed until maybe a child's seven, eight, or nine. And then the um, reality of, of practicing. A child has to have a homework regimen. They have to understand what it means to be self-disciplined to, um, to be a successful music lesson taker. So 
I just don't. And, and I had an age minimum in my music school. And I know a lot of music schools do. For me, it was seven. I wouldn't take anyone under the age of seven, which meant I was turning down business. So I think, you know, to maybe to go back to your question, if you're determined to teach that younger age group in private lessons, to really focus more on the musical experience and not so much on loading the student down with information, you know, not necessarily naming what things are just here, kid, do this. Doesn't, okay, this feels good, right? Let's do this over and over. One thing that I've learned is that children's tolerance for repetition and their enjoyment of repetition is so much greater than ours. I mean, typically for me in a lesson, if I see the student has comprehension and a good handle on it, I want to like call it off after maybe eight measures of them doing it. But for them, they can do it for 32 measures and enjoy it. So it's just really being able to look at the music lesson from the child's perspective and, and understand um, focusing more on the experience. One thing I always would say to my teaching staff is I want every kid to walk out of their lesson feeling like they had a new musical experience today in the lesson and that they've, and they're walking out of that lesson feeling successful in their efforts. And that sometimes means simplifying things, breaking things down more and more and more. And this, this whole idea of repetition, if you only can get a kid to play an, an open E power chord, how can you turn that into something that's enjoyable for the kid to do? You know, maybe it's okay, we're going to do eight measures of just eighth notes. And then we're going to do eight measures of eighth note hits with rest. Boom, 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 boom. And do eight measures of that and switch it up so that the experience is cool and enjoyable. And I think what's also key is that you give the child an experience in the lesson that they can't create at home on their own. I mean, they can do a degree, but that they got to come back to the lesson. You know, so I was always a big fan of accompany your student and do something in your accompaniment that elevates the, the musical you know, experience so that the kid's going, wow, like this is cool what I'm doing at home, but I can't wait to go back to my lesson with Mike because it just sounds so much better when we do it together. Yeah, most definitely. And I think one thing to add on the end of that is so many teachers are focused about a result rather than creating a really good experience. And for the kids, if we're trying to teach them the same way as we teach adults, you know, results-based lessons, then it's just not going to work because they're not capable of, of that. You need to redefine what success looks like at that age group or that level of development. And that means having lots of fun. That means uh, having a positive experience so that as they grow up and um, you know get older and become more mature, they already have that love of music and a great foundation of skills which you spend building up. And then, you know, when they hit their, you know, teen years or, or just prior to that, their pre-teen years, that's when they're, going to really connect with music and, and have a great launch pad to go from. Yeah. And I really believe everybody has the ability to play music somewhat well. Not everyone's going to be great. Not everyone's going to be a Jimi Hendrix, but I always took it as a personal failure when a student of mine dropped out. Like, okay. I just didn't do a good enough job of, of, like you say, that, that experience and one thing I would always get on my teachers about is I would say to them, you're talking too much in the lesson. Talk less, play more. Let them, you know, if kids, especially if they're not, if you know they're not practicing that much, then you want maybe 80 to 90% of the lesson to be the kid playing and playing along with you. And you totally focused on how does the kid feel right now? Yeah, that's really important stuff. And I know before you mentioned that, um, you have other staff working for you. So I know for me, it's quite easy to portray certain things and probably have the same experience for you. How do you convey that same kind of sentiment to your teachers in terms of guiding them to do less talking and, and more playing with your students? So what I did, when I, whenever I brought a new teacher on board, while, when I was teaching, at a certain point in my school, I had to stop teaching, is I would have them trail me for a week. And I would... They had a survey, a little questionnaire in front of them, and they'd fill it out. They're basically, you know, not grading me, but observing me and writing down and answering questions. And at the end of the day, we would talk about it. 
And we would do this throughout the week. And then I would have my staff do that with each other, where they would sit in with each other. So what I found when you're managing music teachers is it doesn't work well when you tell them how to teach. But what does work well is when you say, here are three things that want to happen in every lesson. For me, it was every lesson needs to have a warm-up period. Every lesson has to have um, something where you're really challenging their brain. Maybe it's, you know, reading sheet music. Another portion of the lesson needs to be focused on a song. And the last part should focus on um, improvisation or ear training. You obviously can't hit all of those points in one lesson, but I came up with very broad kind of themes, gave them the, the um, freedom to teach any way they wanted, but I would have them sit in and observe each other. They would fill out a survey while they were watching teachers. I would collect all, all the surveys and then I'd hold a staff meeting and say, okay, let's, and I would share with everybody what I, what I felt were the most kind of insightful observations. So they were really learning from each other. And one question that I think really was important on that survey was, what is this teacher doing that you, in their lesson that you feel you could incorporate into your own? And a lot of our staff meetings were focused on the answers to that question. And quite often, so, you know, we'd come up with, um, you know, I, I'd share a, a comment that someone made in their survey about what they feel they could incorporate into their lesson. And everyone else on the staff said, oh, my God, that's great. I want to do that. So I wasn't telling them how to teach, but they were really learning from from each other. But by set, setting that kind of loose framework as to this is what I want our lessons to be. And, and, and I got buy in from the teachers. I wasn't saying anything that a, a rock or pop musician or even a jazz musician would have a hard time with. So they, you know, it, it's that, that the, the, the um, similarities between jazz and pop music are, are, are so, you know, similar. I loved hiring jazz musicians because they always really got it. They, and they always had great ears and great improvisation skills. And how important do you think improvisation is for your students, because I know for me in my learning, the first three years had absolutely zero. It was just learn the song to pass the test or, you know, pass the exam. So how important is improvisation with your students? Well, for me, and parents really like this, is I would say, look, music is a social activity. Yeah, it's something you do on your own, but it's social. And if you want to be social with music, you have to have good ears. You have to be able to quickly pick up chord progressions and you have to be able to... Um, express yourself with the scale. I mean, it's almost like not knowing how to improvise and not understanding how chords work. It's like you're missing a whole world of music that um, if, if sheet music is dictating all of your moves, your moves musically, you're just not um, maximizing the experience. I mean, there's nothing like playing with people and you're improvising and they're there supporting you or someone else is improvising and you're supporting them. I mean, it, there's just so many great, um, it's really, a, it's a social and musical experience. And I wanted all my students to have that. That sounds absolutely amazing. And yeah, we, we just never want to overlook the fact that music does bring people together and how powerful it can be. So very, very important stuff there. Now, maybe if we head back to Kids Rock for a little bit, because we could go in any direction here and probably need a three hour long episode to get through everything, because um, I feel like we could talk for hours. But in terms of Kid Rock, so it's Kids Rock, sorry, it sounds like, um, you know, you're already giving your students a wow factor by having them learn how to play things. So what's the kind of process that they go through? Is it like in their first lesson they're playing uh, in a band or is it something they work progressively over a couple of weeks? How's it work? Yeah, well, it, you know, I mean, Kids Rock really came about... I was the only one doing it and teaching it. And um, for the first few months of it, I didn't charge people because like, how, like, can, can I pull this off? Can I get kids this young to play in, in a rock band? And once I came to the conclusion, conclusion that yes, that I, I can do this, it, it really took a, a lot of work, but I really wanted the kids to leave that first class knowing what it feels like to play in a real rock band that's keeping time 
and transitioning through maybe only two chords, but it's that, you know, feeling that shift in harmony and feeling the, all the vibrations the different instruments make and the thunder of, of the drums, getting kids to feel that from day one. And um, I had to eventually map out a, a whole curriculum and, and, and class um, lesson plan because I had to pass the program on to, to my teaching staff. And I eventually my competition in town became curious about the program. And they said, hey, can you send one of your teachers out to my school to, to teach it? And um, I went to my attorney and said, like, 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 what do you think? Should I do it? And he said, no, you should license it to this guy. And I had no idea what that meant, but I, I sold the rights for this other school in town to run my program, which really forced me to get the program into like a, a pretty box with a bow on it so that this guy down the road could just open it up and, and, and do the program. And from there, the whole licensing business really grew because it became very apparent that parents were really that parents wanted to put their four five and six year olds into music classes, but a lot of schools wouldn't take them or, or they would. And then a month or two later, the kids dropping out. So, you know, Kids Rock really solved that problem for me with, you know, being able to get that age group into a, a meaningful program and really exceeding their own ex expectations as to what they were capable of. And the parents, it exceeds their expectations as to what a four-year-old, what their four-year-old can do. Kids Rock's giving the parent an opportunity to see their four or five-year-old doing something that they never dreamt that their little child could do. Maybe their teenage child would be able to do this, but not their kindergarten age kid. So it's really, it's for the kids. It's also for the parents in terms of, it, it, it gives them a great sense of, of pride in their child. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. And uh, again, it's just pushing the boundaries of what we think is possible. Often our, you know, the only limitations we have are what we think possible and what we put on ourselves. And by us being not, uh, you know, can I teach someone who's four years old, but how can I teach someone who's four years old? You get a much better answer, which has possibly led to, you know, what we have now in Kids Rock. Uh, I'm actually curious, like, have you had any students, you know, come in at age four and, and go all the way up to teenage years, or I'm not sure how long you've been doing it. So what's sort of the, the long-term thing? <laughs> so, you know, I say I sold my school a few years ago. I was talking to the, the buyer of my school and I said, hey, whatever happened to that kid, Matthias? He's like, oh, he's still in the school. I was like, what? Because he came into Kids Rock at four. He's now a senior in high school. And so I said to him, hey, really quick, run a report on him. I'm curious how much money he's generated for the business. It was over $30,000 from one student who started at four. And this is a kid that like drops out every summer. So it's, um, there's quite, quite a few of them. You know, it, it's think you can think as Kids Rock is sort of like, and I'm sure in Australia you have some like little league version of football for like five year olds, and you know it's not it's not like a competitive game to watch four and five year olds play soccer, but out of the hundred kids in the league that are are, are doing football, only a sm a small percentage of them are going to be doing it competitively when they're in high school, but they will they'll say it was all because of what started when I was five. It was all because of that experience. So, you know, Kids Rock's the same thing as, yeah, you might have 60 kids in your school doing it. Only a, a certain percentage of them are going to be in your school when they're 14. But it's Kids Rock is it's all about that first experience in, in, in anything in life, in any activity. That first impression of that first experience really kind of sets the, the tone for a, a a child's, you know, a relationship with that experience. And do you find that like um, you, you breed like a, a hotbed of talent through this program? Is it something that they kind of do for a couple of years and drop off? Or is it just like, you know, creating the rock stars of the future and, and uh, being almost like a, you know, acceleration program in some aspects? You know, I, my whole thought behind kids, right. Cause I just want more kids to be able to experience music. I really believe that if more people in the world played an instrument, the world would look very different than how it looks right now. All, all of us musicians, and I think it's hard for us to understand this, 
we can go and pick up our instrument at the end of the day. And it's, we get an instant, um, you know, um, um, elevation of spirit. We instantly, it puts us in an instant good mood. And for those, I, I feel sorry for people that can't play an instrument. And like, like, how could you go through life and you don't play an instrument? I'm always shocked when I go into someone's house and they don't have any instruments laying around. So my hope with Kids Rock is that it can make music accessible to more people and can can chip away in people's minds this false belief that playing an instrument is hard to do. Because that is really what's preventing a lot of people from exploring music. And as music educators, if we make that first month of lessons seem hard to the child, it's going to validate their that false belief of, yep, I knew it was going to be hard. It, and it really is hard. And I, I, I'm confused when I'm practicing at home and my fingers hurt. Um, so it's like, okay, how can you take all those things into consideration so that the kids experiencing nothing but wins early on in, in, in their music? Now I'm just going to pause the interview for a second, guys, for a quick message from our wonderful sponsors at Music Notes. So teachers and students everywhere deserve a sheet music experience that impresses, and that's precisely what you get from musicnotes.com, the largest online retailer of quality sheet music. Now it's all about the attention to detail with Music Notes because they're run by musicians for musicians. So Music Note hold every piece in their catalogs the highest standard for the best experience, whether it's in the practice room, right up to the performance. Now, Music Notes has the perfect arrangement for every musician and every purchase is available right away. There's no shipping, they never run out of print, and the transcriptions are always available in the right key. So simply print from the Music Notes website or use the free Music Notes app to view your sheet music anywhere, anytime. And as an exclusive to our listeners, Music Notes are offering 25% off e-gift cards for a limited time only. So visit musicnotes.com slash topmusic to claim this very special exclusive offer and there's no code required. Very, very important stuff there. And again, if you're listening at home, make sure you're writing this stuff down and you're going back and listening to it multiple times because Dave is absolutely full of these amazing wisdoms. Um, so yeah, Dave, I think obviously you've grown the program quite large now. Um, how have you gone about expanding it to include additional teachers and studios? Am I safe to say all around the world or is it just an American thing? Yeah, it's international now. I think I'm in two schools in Australia. I'm really excited about that. Australia, early on, it became evident to me, looking at Australian music school websites, that there was a lot of creativity going on in, in, in Australia. And I don't know why Australia produces all these amazing marketers. So there's something in the, the water there in terms of um, visionaries and people being creative. But I really wanted to get into Australia Finally, I'm now, but um, yeah, big in the U.S., Canada, U.K., and and, and now Australia and in Singapore. That was exciting, but it really um, when I started trying to license it, I knew well, from a business perspective, all I understood was how to attract music students and run a music school. I had no knowledge of how to build something like this, and I was just like cold calling people, and I'll never forget this one guy. I called said this program sounds great but like i don't know anything about you like i i just can't buy this unless i like like i've just never heard of it and i realized at that point i need to really rethink my strategy and that's when i got into blogging and then doing the the, the podcast and that just kind of and then i positioned myself as fine i'm going to just share my knowledge about marketing and my kids rock program i'm not going to aggressively sell it on the podcast, but it's just people, you know, they would check me out and they go, Oh, I, this guy clearly is selling something. And then they would find out, but it was really, I was on Tim Toppin's podcast. Um, and after that podcast, I sold four or five licenses. So I said, okay, I got this podcasting thing is, op is opening up a whole new realm of, of possibilities. So it was really my podcast that got the ball rolling. Hopefully you get five more after this one. <laughs> Yeah, right. I'll take it. Yeah. Great. No, that's great. No, I think. Do you hear that, listener? Yeah. <laughs> you, you could be one of the five, listener. Yeah, we'll definitely 
put out a, a, a shout out at the end and tell you exactly where to find Dave and if you are interested in his program to sign up for it. And yeah, there's super interesting stuff. And the, the balance for me is we've always got guitar teachers interested in, you know, becoming better uh, teachers. And we've also got the business side of things, which we love talking about. So again, maybe we, for the second half of this podcast, we'll dive into the business stuff. Um, you mentioned before that you end up selling your school. So how did you go about um, selling a school and from my understanding, you relocated to another state. What, what's the story there? Yes. Yeah, so as kids, you know, I, I loved my music school and I left a day job for my music school. But as the licensing business was taking off, my music school was starting to feel a little bit like a day job in that, um, you know, I was the, the licensing was generating all this, you know, new revenue and I really wanted to scale it. So I realized that. I needed to remove myself completely from my music school, even while I was still living in town and owned it. So I just started becoming more curious about business and marketing. And I learned over time how to just completely exit my school. And I hired a manager to run the business. And I just fell in love with marketing because I realized marketing is very similar to music and that's all about communicating an idea or communicating a, a feeling. I, I initially was, was not interested in marketing a, at all, but once, once I saw that it worked, that it, I got results from it and that I found just like in music, you know, sometimes like in a song, if you tweak one lyric or tweak one melody, all of a sudden um, the song comes to life. You know, there's certain songs where it's like, oh my God, like, you know, I can't imagine this song with this one be removed. It wouldn't be a hit with that. And marketing, I feel, is the same way. It's really about just understanding the, the um, you know, more subtle aspects of communication. And I realized a lot of music school owners were like me and that they didn't know that much about marketing. I think even Tim Toppin once said, and I love this, he said, a lot of music school owners um, kind of back into their business, that they start teaching and it starts growing. And then they realize, okay, my time is filled up. Now what do I do? I'll hire somebody. The next thing they know, they're a business owner and they've got three teachers on their staff. And maybe the business is small, but they're still going through all the motions that a multi-million dollar business has to go through. But, but most of us don't have any background or education in business and marketing. And so I, I use my podcast as an opportunity to really, you know, shed, shed light on, on those, on, on those topics. And hope, and my hope is that I can eliminate the fear for music school owners in terms of that. No business and marketing isn't as hard. It's not as intimidating as it seems but you have to have a plan and, and take baby steps. 100%. I think you've really hit the nail on the head in, in saying they reverse it, or maybe that was Tim's analogy, but yeah, music teachers generally, they, they start because of the music and then they end up growing it to the point where, um, you know, they have to get serious about the business. Otherwise, you know, things are going to go downhill or, you know, when we're in our late teens, early twenties, we're just super passionate about, you know, becoming rock stars and doing that. And then as uh, 30 comes ever closer and the reality of life sets in, we have to start thinking about the long term and the future and, and take business a bit more seriously. So how important is it for music teachers to get an understanding of the business side of things? Well, I, I think it, it depends on, on what the end game is for them. If it's as simple as I want to fill up, you know, I'm going to set aside 35 hours a week to teach. People are going to come to my home or I'm going to go to them. I don't think there really needs to be that much of an emphasis on business and marketing, especially if your schedule's full. It's if you want more, what happens when you want to scale a little bit? And um, that's when I think, you know, all of a sudden at that point, you're no longer a music teacher, you're an entrepreneur. And ultimately, in order to scale your business, you have to pull yourself out of the teaching. You have to become a leader of your organization. And I think you have to go back to this whole idea that Tim says of where people are backing into their business and they look up and they realize they're a business owner. I think they keep, it's easy to keep your back to the business the whole time, but you're growing and you're growing. You got four teachers, five teachers. Music lessons is a hot commodity. They're pretty easy to sell. Every parent 
wants music lessons for their kid at some point. But it's if you want to um, scale and grow your school, you know, and you kind of talked about turning, you know, in your 30s, I think we all get to points in our lives where you're like, wow, I really need more money. I, I've got a kid on the way. I've got a third kid on the way. And having a clear saying to yourself now, okay, I know I'm only 30 years old. I'm not 30 years old, but if you're 30 year old listening, okay, I'm only 30 now. I only have one kid, but you know what? In 10 years, I might have two or three kids to ask yourself how much money you think you're going to need. Maybe talk to somebody who's further down the road and get a number. Maybe in the States, it might be $150,000. And then ask yourself, what can I do in my music teaching business to achieve that? And kind of backwards engineer the whole thing. So many of us, you know, our arms are just kind of flailing. The school's growing. The business is, our life is making more financial demands on us. And we don't have a plan. Having a plan in place is so key. Being able to work out on paper to say, I want to make $150 by the time I'm 40. And here's what has to happen in my music teaching business to get there. And constantly tweaking that plan. And the way to develop that plan is, I think, three things. Be a, a constant student. Always be learning about business, marketing, and leadership coming up with a plan and then committing to um, implementing it. If one of those pieces is missing, it's um, you're not likely to grow as much as you'd like. But really, I mean, the good, the good news is, is that learning to master an instrument the way we all have, I mean, it's hours and hours to get to the level that we're at musically. I mean, I've never heard you play before, but, you know, Michael, I assume you're a great guitar player. Or you're at least at a certain, you know, level of mastery. And who knows how many hours and how many years it took you to get there. Within six to 12 months of, of just learning about business, leadership, and marketing, you can have a really good foundation. So learning these skills is a hell of a lot easier than mastering an instrument. Yeah. I think a lot of people underestimate that how significantly difficult uh Let's say it's not difficult. I don't think learning an instrument is difficult, but it does does take a long time to do in terms of going to a really high level of it. If you just practice consistently and stick with it and continue taking lessons, it's inevitable that you will arrive at a certain point. It's just, you know, at what point do you hop off the train? If you stay on the train, it'll take you as far as you want to go. The thing with business, as you pointed out, is it's it is so easy. Well, I, business isn't difficult. You just need the right knowledge and the right execution of that knowledge. And I I think people significantly underestimate how easy it is to make a lot of money because, you know, we just get bought up in a, a system where we think that um, uh, I'm going to throw it out Australian numbers here. I don't know what the American equivalent is, but I think, you know, $65,000, $70,000 is an average teaching wage in Australia. I think it's something like equivalent to $36,000, $42,000 in the US. And people think that's, you know, a, a good livable wage for a teacher when, you know, it, it's quite easy to make $100,000 six figures working 15 to 20 hours. And that's, you know, part of what I do in my six figure program is one, show teachers how easy it is to actually um, hit some of these big figures at, on paper. And as you said, you just start with the end in mind and reverse engineer it right down to the number of students you need and how many hours you need to work. And most people are shocked that, you know, you can do it with about 42 students teaching 10 to 15 hours a week, you know, 40 hours a week if you want to do them in private lessons, but significantly less if you want to do them in, in group lessons. And I think it's just uh, as many people finding it, if COVID has shown anyone anything like, you know, how much we did in our day-to-day -day lives for work, which is just a waste and how much we can cut out just by being smarter about what we do. And yeah, part of what I want to show people is, yes, it's possible to earn lots and lots of money from music and you should feel good about that. Again, as your life changes, money is just going to create so many more opportunities for you. And the more you have, the more opportunities you can create or take advantage of, or the more giving with money you can be. And unfortunately, uh, as musicians, we generally have hangups about money because we've never had much of it, or we're just socially conditioned to think it's the root of all evil. But, you know, I, I definitely know when I got serious about money and serious about business and marketing, one is I got there quicker than I ever thought was possible from earning like, you know, $15,000, $20,000 tops to going to, you know, a hundred thousand in, in about 12 months of, of getting serious and making it a priority. And then two, how much better my lessons got for all of my students that I had a really good studio, that I had all these equipment, that I, you know, could 
get the best out of myself for my life and then give my students the best of me. So I think that's, you know, something anyone listening to this um, can really take advantage of is the fact that if you get your business organized, it makes a huge difference to your life, the life of your family, the lives of your students, and even your whole community. You can just contribute more back to the community. Yeah, I love that. Can I, can I share um, a, a little tip for your listeners? So if, if you feel like, you know, business and marketing and leadership is just the thought of it's overwhelming. What I recommend is go to YouTube and just look up, you know, how to market my small business, how to um, grow my business and just start collecting it. Watch short videos, play them at like time and a half and have a notebook. You'll begin to quickly within a week or so, pick up some basic tips, even a YouTube search of, um, understanding the basics of business and just start and, and have a, like an, a special notebook with a nice hard cover just for your notes and just start taking notes. And then like a month later, start reviewing those notes and it will be amazing how much you've learned reading. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of reading books, but that's, that's a big time commitment by doing this through YouTube. You'll eventually figure out who are some people that you really like who are real thought leaders and then you'll eventually be, become curious about their, their books that they have. But it doesn't have to be this daunting task of, oh, my God, I got to like find like what book should I start with? It's 300 pages. It's going to take me forever to start with some short YouTube videos and go from there. Fantastic. Now, I was going <laughs> to ask you at some point, what do you have any book recommendations? So maybe to follow up what you just said for those who are inclined to read. Um, I, I've seen you're a big reader. And uh, I think one thing I've really admire about you, Dave, is the fact that um, not only are you really, really giving with your advice, but something I saw was just, you know, you, you highlight books and you just randomly pick up a book and go to a passage that you've read and just reiterate and reinforce that information that you've uh, gone through. So yeah, why don't you give us a couple of recommendations from your library? Well, yeah. And you know what? I don't read books. I study them. I read a book with a highlighter and then I read the highlighted passages a second time and I write little notes around the page of just like additional thoughts. Um, so I really like just live with the books, but I think a really great book, um, one is by Seth Godin called This is Marketing. That's a really good one. I really love this book. It's called Made to Stick and it's by the Heath brothers. I can't remember their, their individual names, but that really kind of gets into the psychology of marketing and um, oh, what's the one? I think it's called, uh, oh, I can't remember. I can't think of his name. It's, I, I'm really in, intrigued by the, the um, psychology of marketing. Any, um, also, uh, uh, what's this? Donald Miller, Building a Story Brand. To be honest, those are great, really simple reads. Donald Miller's Building a Story Brand. And... Um, I'm looking at my bookshelf now. He's got one about, oh, business made easy and marketing made simple. Those are really good ones to start with. Yes, yeah, so I think a good starter book, if you're kind of new to marketing, is Donald Miller's Building a Story Brand. I think This is Marketing by Seth Godin is and the um, Made to Stick are really good about understanding the psychology of, um, of marketing. And then for sales... Um, Zig Ziglar, God, anything by him, like um, The Art of Sales, I think is his book. But he's really, even though his emphasis is on sales, you can really apply. It's really about how to communicate with people. And it's, that's, uh, anything by him is great. Yeah. And how important is developing your own ability to communicate with people in, in music lessons, in, in business, in marketing? I think communication is marketing has taught me how to be a better husband. It's taught me how to be a better father because it's made me more self-aware of my communication. And yes, it's made me a better music teacher because the music teacher has to be, always be asking his or herself, where's this kid right now? What's going on in their head? You know, how are they feeling? Are they, do they, is this fun? Or do they feel overwhelmed? Like really trying to, um, Get out of your head. I When I was a young teacher, I always felt like I had to impress the student or impress the parent with my knowledge. And I think that was my own insecurity. Like I wanted them to think I was a good teacher. And I realized, no, it's not about trying to convince the parent or the child that you're a good teacher. It's 
convincing them that they're having a good time. And, and it's, it's really, you know, same with marketing. When you, if you market your music school and talk about how good you are and what a great teacher you are, it's not going to be as effective as if your marketing is all about the impact and the transformation that a child will experience by taking music lessons with you. And, and that it, it, it's a subtle difference. You know, as one marketer says that a lot of businesses or, or that you should sit on the other side, you should sit on the customer side of the table. That you shouldn't look at it as you're at a table, you're on one side and your prospective students on the other side. It's that you're on their side with your arm around them trying to help them and um, make it less about you and make it all uh, about the student. And that you can apply that in friendships and relationships. Stop trying to impress people with your fabulous life story. Um, Here, I want to share a quick anecdote. Because I know you got to go soon, which I think sums up what good, great marketing is. Jay Abraham tells the story. He's a great marketer. Jay Abraham says he meets he met a guy at a party. And they talked for about fifteen minutes, and then Jay walked away. You know, he said, you know, he excused himself and he left the conversation. And the guy said, "Hey, really quick before you go, I just want to say you're one of the most interesting people I've ever met." Jay Abraham pointed out that he didn't tell him a single thing about himself. All he did is get the guy engaged by asking questions. The guy talked the whole time about himself, but he perceived Jay Abraham as being a really interesting person. And there's a lot, uh, just a great lesson there to learn is to really try to just, you know, understand your your lesson from the the child's perspective. 100%. And yeah, be a great listener, ask the right questions. And if you ask the right questions, people will tell you everything you need to know uh, about everything. And some of you know, the people that I coach, I say, uh, if you're trying to sign people up for lessons, all you've got to do is ask them what their problems are, listen to those problems and provide solutions. And, you know, away you go. And that's not just music. That's every area of life. My, my opening question on any sales call with a parent is, so what inspired you to pick guitar? For your child or or how did you decide you know for your child to take guitar lessons and let them talk and let them keep talking they'll feel good about talking about their child and they'll feel good about you because you're asking them questions that no one has probably ever asked them before so they're likely to um you know feel good about you like you and trust you and if they like and trust you they're that much more likely to buy from you yeah and there's just so much more to guitar lessons and a price and a location, but so many people primarily get held up on those things there, which is a real shame. So um, yeah, probably gonna go on a couple more minutes. I've got two more questions for you. The last one is where can our listeners find out more about you online? Where can they follow you? Where can they connect? Where can they hear more about anything we've talked about today? Well, two point, you know, one is um, my website is davesimonsmusic.com. My uh, my podcast is there. You can also learn about my Kids Rock program. Kids Rock also um, transitions into a, a second program called Junior Rockers. It's for ages seven to eleven. Same, you know, similar teaching philosophy. You can also there's a music lessons and marketing Facebook group. We'd love love to have your listeners come and join the conversation there. Really try to um, you know share some marketing tips, but also what I love about the Facebook group is just asking the group questions so that the members in the group can learn about what other struggles music school owners and teachers are are struggling with. And um, I think we all have certain concerns and and fears and maybe we're afraid to like ask openly, like, Hey, like, you know, you guys also experienced this, you know, with teachers and, and just kind of being, you know, just trying to get a conversation going in in, in that group to, to get music, school owners to, to open up has been really helpful. Fantastic. And, you know, having partaken in a couple of conversations in your Facebook group, uh, there's not, not just, you know, yourself who's so giving with advice and information, which is absolutely fantastic, but the fact that there's a whole bunch of other teachers all on various levels, some new, some experts in their own right, all contributing to the conversation, which is great. So, uh, Dave, it's been a pleasure having you. If you could have and impart one final piece of wisdom upon any guitar teacher or music teacher listening right now, what would that one last bit of wisdom be? Ooh, for a guitar teacher. Um, my it, it advice would would be to in, 
in your lessons to really just focus on that those first two or three lessons, no book, no information, just asking yourself, how can I get this kid to like feel on top of the world when they leave? How can they, because you know, when that kid leaves the first lesson, mom's going to say, so how was it? And you want that kid to say it was like the most amazing thing. And so how do you achieve that? You know, and it's take, you know, it's, it's, um, it's tough. It's tough. You know, the fine motor skills on, on the guitar, trying to get a kid to play scales in that first lesson, it's pretty tough, but you know what? You can take your index finger and borrow it across the E and the B string and have them play those little like inverted power chords while you play something cool. It's going to blow the kid's mind. I think the, the advice in that I would give to any teacher is to remember how mind blowing music is before you play it. It doesn't take much to blow a kid's mind. Every lesson, every lesson, the kid should leave there with his or her mind blown going, Oh my God, I can't wait to come back. That's absolutely fantastic advice. And to all the listeners and on behalf of the listeners, Dave, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. It's been a fantastic conversation. I've learned a lot just from the uh, the short hour that we did have together. And I appreciate your time in coming on here. So guys, um, make sure you follow Dave, join the Facebook group, hit him up on his website. Um, We'll post links uh, in all the articles and, and basically the blog so people can go straight to find you. But thanks once again, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks very much, Dave. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.